Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit saymythyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and in this episode, I talk about thyroid nodules. Thyroid nodules are very common, and while many times they don't cause any problems, when they are causing problems, most doctors will recommend thyroid surgery. Of course, there is a time and place for surgery, but whenever possible, the goal should be to address the cause of the nodules so that surgery is avoided. So if you have one or more thyroid nodules and surgery or radioactive iodine has been recommended, or even if you have questions about whether a biopsy is necessary, then you'll definitely want to listen to this episode. Also, if you have one or more thyroid nodules that are very large and surgery has been recommended, then I would make sure to listen what I chat about after the outro. And so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome back to the Save My Thyroid podcast. This is Dr. Eric Osansky, and in this episode, I'm going to discuss what you need to know about thyroid nodules. All right, so let's go ahead and start by discussing how many people have thyroid nodules. So one journal article mentioned that while 4 to 7% of the population have palpable thyroid nodules, ultrasonography reveals that up to 67% of the population has them. Another study mentioned that up to 35% of the population have thyroid nodules show up on an ultrasound. And the incidence of thyroid nodules increases as we age, and the prevalence is higher in women, although they are more likely to be malignant in men, especially those over 70 years of age. The good news is that most thyroid nodules are benign. So only around 5% of thyroid nodules that are detected through palpation are malignant. But most thyroid nodules are not detected through palpation. For those thyroid nodules evaluated by a biopsy, the prevalence of malignancy ranges from 4% to 6.5%. And so the incidence of thyroid cancer has increased substantially in the United States over the last four decades. The American Cancer Society estimated that 62,450 people in the United States were diagnosed with thyroid cancer. This was in 2015, so this is a few years old, old admittedly. But again, 62,450 people, and again, this is just in the United States, who are diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And most people with thyroid cancer are diagnosed with papillary thyroid cancer. So according to the American Cancer Society, both stage one and stage two papillary thyroid cancer have a five-year relative survival rate of nearly 100%, and in stage three, it's 93%. So of course, ideally, you would want, not want to have a malignant thyroid nodule, but if you do, there's a very good chance it's papillary thyroid cancer, and again, the five-year relative survival rate is very high. In stage four, the five-year relative survival rate drops down to 51%. 
And so there's also follicular thyroid cancer. And this also has a near 100% five-year relative survival rate in stage one and two, with a 71% five-year relative survival rate in stage three, and a 50% five-year relative survival rate in stage four. And there's also medullary thyroid cancer. This this has a pretty good five-year relative survival rate in stages one through three. However, it only has a 28% survival rate in stage four. And then there's anaplastic thyroid cancer, which has a five-year relative survival rate of only 7%. But fortunately, only 1% to 2% of all thyroid cancers are anaplastic. And so while there is a risk of untreated thyroid cancer, the good news is that the progression is much lower when compared to other cancers. And overall, the five-year relative survival rate is pretty good. And that's why I'm bringing it up here. Even though this, the focus of this episode is on thyroid nodules, a small percentage will be malignants. But even when that's the case, it's usually slow-growing. Most people have papillary thyroid cancer. Again, obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. But again, I wanted to offer a little bit of reassurance. With that being said... I'd like to go ahead and discuss when a biopsy might be necessary for those who have one or more thyroid nodules. So a report in JAMA Internal Medicine involved 8,806 patients, and it focused on three ultrasound nodule characteristics. And this included microcalcifications, a size greater than two centimeters, and an entirely solid composition. And so they determined that these were the main findings associated with the risk of developing thyroid cancer. The authors of the study suggested that rather than performing a biopsy of all thyroid nodules larger than 5 millimeters, one should instead require two abnormal nodule characteristics to determine if someone should require a biopsy. So, for example, if someone has microcalcifications and a thyroid nodule that's greater than 2 centimeters, then this would indicate doing a biopsy. If they only had microcalcifications, then this wouldn't indicate that they should do a biopsy. And they mentioned how taking this approach would reduce unnecessary biopsies by 90% while maintaining a low risk of cancer. You might be wondering about the radioactive iodine uptake test, because this is commonly used by endocrinologists to determine if someone has thyroid nodules. So you might be wondering, can the uptake test confirm malignant thyroid nodules? Again, for those diagnosed with hyperthyroidism, uh, radioactive iodine uptake is commonly recommended, and endocrinologists will say that they want to use this test to confirm if someone has Graves' disease, as well as nodules too, but a lot of times they'll, they want to do this test to con- confirm if someone has Graves'. However, I would much rather just rely on antibody testing, because if someone has hyperthyroidism and they have elevated thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, TSI, these are the antibodies associated with Graves' disease, then in my opinion, you wouldn't need to do a radioactive iodine uptake test for this purpose, at least for diagnosing Graves' disease, because you already know you have Graves' disease if you have hyperthyroidism in the presence of the thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins. Some practitioners will do the TRAB, TSH receptor antibodies, and so if someone has positive TRAB in the presence of hyperthyroidism, then this too usually means that the person has hyperthyroidism. But another reason why endocrinologist recommends radioactive iodine uptake test is to determine if someone has thyroid nodules and also to see if to give an idea if they are malignant it's it's not going to confirm whether someone has a malignancy but they will say that they want to use this to differentiate between benign and malignant nodules 
And so about 80 to 85% of thyroid nodules show up as being cold on the uptake test, and about 10% of those nodules are malignant. And that depends on the source. Some sources say as low as 5%. And so hot nodules account for only 5% of nodules, although the likelihood of these being malignant is less than 1%. So essentially, you're hoping to see a hot nodule, but are far more likely to see a cold nodule. And again, 90% of these will be benign. So it's important to mention that neither a rate-active iodine uptake test or a thyroid ultrasound are perfect methods for confirming or ruling out malignant nodules. So again, this doesn't mean they don't have any value, but I can say that I'm a big fan of the rate-active iodine uptake test to look at nodules. I much rather would get an ultrasound, and that's what I did when I had Graves' disease. In all honesty, the endocrinologist didn't even want to do an ultrasound. She also didn't want to do the radioactive iodine uptake test in me, but she didn't want to do an ultrasound. She just relied on, she wanted to rely on palpation and she felt like there was no nodules, but I wanted to get a thyroid ultrasound. And sure enough, there weren't any thyroid nodules, but that's usually what I'll recommend if someone is thinking about getting a radioactive iodine uptake test. Of course, that's your decision. And if someone already has received this, if you listen to this and you already received the radioactive iodine uptake test, again, I wouldn't stress out about it. It's not the end of the world, of course, but it's, it is more invasive in that you're taking radioactive iodine when compared to thyroid ultrasound, where you don't need to, to take that. And to me, it's not given that much more information when compared to an ultrasound. So what causes thyroid nodules to form? So there are a few different factors we're going to discuss here. So according to the research, estrogen is a potent growth factor for both benign and malignant thyroid cells. So estrogen is also a factor with uterine fibroids. And there is a study that involved 1,144 participants, and it looked at the relationship between thyroid nodules and uterine fibroids. And the authors concluded that uterine fibroids in women were definitely associated with the presence of thyroid nodules, and that estrogen might play a pivotal role in the occurrence of both of these. And so one of the best ways to support estrogen metabolism is by eating plenty of cruciferous vegetables, such as broccoli, kale, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage. So there's plenty of different cruciferous vegetables you could eat, as well as not only I mentioned broccoli, but broccoli sprouts are really good to support estrogen metabolism. So if you could get broccoli sprouts at a health food store or a farmer's market, or you can consider growing your own broccoli sprouts. So these are really good to support estrogen metabolism. And so these help to support estrogen metabolism due to the compounds enzole-3-carbonyl, as well as diendolimethane or DIM. And so another option is you could take DIM in supplement form. So many people will do this. Insulin resistance can also be a cause of thyroid nodules, or at least a contributing factor. So one study examined the prevalence of insulin resistance in a case control study of patients with benign thyroid nodules. And the study showed that there is an association between insulin resistance and benign thyroid nodules. And another study looked at the association between insulin resistance and the vascularization of thyroid nodules. And the authors of the study concluded that there is a vital role of insulin resistance in the distribution, construction, and density of thyroid nodule vascularization, and that this in turn might contribute to the growth and the progression of thyroid nodules. Another study looked at the relationship between insulin resistance and those with euthyroid nodule goiter. So euthyroid means that you have normal thyroid hormone levels, and nodule goiter means that you have a large thyroid gland is what a goiter is in the presence of nodules. 
And so the results show that insulin resistance may cause an increase in thyroid cell proliferation and nodule volume as well as nodule formation. And one more study looked to see if there was a correlation between insulin resistance and thyroid nodules in those with type 2 diabetes. And the results of the study demonstrated that insulin resistance was a risk factor for thyroid nodule formation in patients with type 2 diabetes. Again, another thing to consider, and you might just want to do some testing to determine if you have insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes. And one of the more common tests is hemoglobin A1c. It's not a perfect test, but it is a test that you consider doing. Also, insulin, fasting insulin is another test as well. A lot of people rely on fasting glucose. And this also has some value, but I wouldn't rely on a single fasting glucose. You could get your own glucometer and measure fasting glucose daily. That will have more value than a single uh, fasting glucose measurement. But again, you also might want to look at fasting insulin as well as hemoglobin A1c. And if that's the case, then you would want to, of course, address the insulin resistance problem. So a few studies also show a relationship between iodine deficiency and thyroid nodules. So iodine is very controversial in the world of thyroid health, and I'm not going to get into great detail about iodine during this episode, but perhaps in a future episode, I will talk more about iodine and the relationship to thyroid health and specifically hyperthyroidism and Graves' disease. You're probably wondering if it's possible to shrink thyroid nodules. And so there is no specific natural treatment to shrink all thyroid nodules, so there's not a single supplement or herb that someone could take that definitely will work to shrink thyroid nodules. And this includes not only nutritional supplements and herbs, but some people use essential oils such as myrrh, frankincense, which which can have some benefits, but I can't say across the board that myrrh, frankincense, or other essential oils will shrink all thyroid nodules. Some people have had success with castor oil packs and shrinking thyroid nodules. However, you can shrink thyroid nodules if you address the cause of the problem. This makes sense. If someone has a problem with estrogen metabolism or insulin resistance, as I mentioned earlier, those are factors which can cause thyroid nodules. And it makes sense that if you address the cause of the problem, then the thyroid nodule over time will decrease. And so also what I would do is, in addition to what I covered here in this episode on some of the causes, estrogen dominance, insulin resistance, also iodine deficiency, addressing these causes may shrink thyroid nodules. You also might want to refer to the episode I had on toxic multinodule goiter. As I mentioned, three other methods which can help shrink thyroid nodules. I wouldn't say they're natural methods, but they're also not conventional medical treatments as well. So definitely tune into that episode. So let's go ahead and discuss action steps that you could take. So if you haven't yet been diagnosed with thyroid nodules, you might want to consider getting a thyroid ultrasound, and that's up to you. As I mentioned, when I dealt with Graves' disease, I wanted an ultrasound just to confirm or rule out thyroid nodules. Even though the endocrinologist was pretty confident I didn't have thyroid nodules, I didn't want to rely on palpation alone. So I decided to get a thyroid ultrasound. I paid out of pocket for that. It was a couple of hundred dollars. And even though it was negative, I was still happy that I got the ultrasound just to rule out the thyroid nodules. If you do have one or more thyroid nodules, then you need to ask, do you have two out of three characteristics, especially if the doctor who ordered the ultrasound is recommending a biopsy. If the doctor doesn't recommend a biopsy, 
then you might not want to consider. But again, you could still look at the report and see. Do you have two out of three characteristics I mentioned earlier? And those, again, are microcalcifications, a size greater than two centimeter, and an entirely solid composition. If you have two out of three of these characteristics, then a biopsy, according to at least the journal article I mentioned, according to that journal article, a biopsy would be indicated. But of course, still is up to you and something you could discuss with the ordering doctor. So I spoke about the radioactive iodine uptake test, and you might wonder, again, should you get the radioactive iodine uptake test? And I gave my reasoning for how most people with hyperthyroidism probably don't need the radioactive iodine uptake test. Once again, if you already received a radioactive iodine uptake test, I wouldn't worry about it. But if you haven't had it yet, something to consider. Again, I'm not going to tell you not to get it because this is your decision, but most cases you could get what you need from a thyroid ultrasound and looking at those characteristics because once again, radioactive iodine uptake test, yes, it'll say if you have cold or hot nodules and you're not going to get that from a thyroid ultrasound, but cold or hot nodules aren't going to confirm if someone has malignant thyroid nodules. So you could get an ultrasound, look at the characteristics and use that. Or if you feel more comfortable getting an uptake test, you could do that. And then, of course, another action step is to address the potential causes I mentioned, and that includes estrogen dominance or problems with estrogen metabolism. I shouldn't just say estrogen dominance. So when we think estrogen dominance, a lot of people think high estrogen, although also if someone has normal estrogen and low progesterone, that's a case of estrogen dominance, but then also problems with estrogen metabolism. And as far as how to determine, because I I didn't really get into detail, and I'm not going to get into detail here, but I will say that there's a few options. One is blood testing. You can look at estradiol, which is a dominant estrogen. You can look at total estrogens. There's also a really good test called the Dutch test, which is a dried urine test. And there's a page on that test that looks at the sex hormones and specifically a section that looks at estrogen metabolism. So if someone has high, what's called 4-hydroxy estrogen metabolites, then you might want to take DIM or eat broccoli sprouts or both of those. And then insulin resistance, I did mention testing hemoglobin A1C, fasting insulin, or maybe getting a glucometer and testing your fasting glucose on a daily basis, and iodine deficiency. Again, iodine, very controversial. Doing iodine testing in the blood isn't really accurate. I like urine testing, even though, again, there's questions about that being completely accurate. And I probably would agree that it's not completely accurate, but I prefer urine testing for iodine over blood testing. If if I am going to test for iodine, I can't say that I test all my patients for an iodine deficiency. But if someone's considering doing a test for iodine deficiency, then I would recommend a urinary iodine test. And if your thyroid nodules are very large, then you still might want to address the cause of the problem. So it, it's still... There's a cause of the thyroid nodule, no matter how large it is. So if you have a problem with estrogen dominance or estrogen metabolism, of course, you want to address this. If you have a problem with insulin resistance, of course, you want to address that. But also, you might want to refer to the episode on toxic multinodule goiter because many doctors will just tell the person that they should get surgery, but there are other options besides addressing the cause of the problem. There's the three specific methods I mentioned, three specific treatment options I mentioned in the episode on toxic multinodule goiter. So definitely refer to that if your nodules are very large. And that's all I wanted to discuss with regards to thyroid nodules. 
I hope you learned a lot and found this episode to be valuable. And I look forward to seeing you in the very next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. Thank you so much for tuning in. In an earlier episode where I discussed toxic multinodule goiter, I believe it was episode number nine, I mentioned a few other treatment methods to consider for thyroid nodules if surgery has been recommended. One of these is radiofrequency ablation, and I've had a few patients with larger nodules receive this treatment with success. However, as of this recording, there aren't a lot of places that offer this type of treatment. I know one of my patients got this procedure done in Virginia, and there's a few other states that offer this procedure. Anyway, it's an option for some to consider, and I'm going to try to interview someone in the future about this, preferably a practitioner who actually performs this procedure. Just keep in mind that this doesn't address the underlying cause, and so while in many cases it's a better option than thyroid surgery or radioactive iodine, there is a chance the nodule will eventually grow back in the future. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.